The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Father, I would like to start the program tonight by having you address a rumor. Uh, this, this rumor recently appeared on a Facebook group which goes by the title of SSPX Faithful. And a certain commenter in this, uh, in, on this post in, uh, in the SSPX Faithful group, uh, I'll just read the comment here. Uh, she says, ICA is the mad Sede church. If you send your kids to school there, you have to sign a form that says that the Pope isn't the Pope. And to clarify, a reputed family was considering sending their children there, and it was the nuns who wanted them to sign that paper for admission to the school. However, if Father Jenkins is in charge, even if he isn't personally asking, then obviously he has to be okay with it. How would you respond to that, Father? Have you ever... Signed? It's complete fiction, Tom. Okay. <laughs> That's complete fiction. Okay. And uh, we've never had any, any such form. How did the rumor come about then? Um, malice. Um, and it can be malice by default in a sense that... Uh, People are willing to believe and spread lies without finding out that they're lies. You know, if, if you hear a, a, a damaging story or a, a critical story about someone, and you are so prejudiced against them, you just don't care whether it's true or not, you just assume it must be true, well, it's called rash suspicion, in that case, even rash judgment, that you've concluded it must be true because you know how bad those people are and how much we don't like them. And anything that we hear about them that is negative, uh, we actually really appreciate because it just justifies our dislike of them. Um, you, you read, uh, and you, or even you, you know by heart, St. Paul's uh, great dissertation on charity, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one of the characteristics of charity is that it does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. But all too often, human beings, uh, uh, as they are with original sin, rather rejoice in anything evil that they can pin on someone they don't like uh, to justify that dislike. And I think that's true of the Society of St. Pius X, that the, the clergy there have just repeated over and over and over again, uh, like a mantra, uh, the accusations, the old, uh, worn-out accusations, uh, sort of like accusing someone of being the boogeyman, and uh, to get the people reacting, oh, horrors, you know, we, we can't go near that. And um, I think this is what's happened here. I think there are people involved with the Society of Vice X who just uh, rejoice in evil and not in the truth. And so they're willing to spread these rumors, not even knowing what is the truth, and then when someone points out to them that what they're saying is not true, uh, not only do they, do they not uh, stop and think, well, maybe I'd better find out the truth and uh, correct the, the uh, calumny that I've been spreading, but they get angry at those who point out to them that what they've been saying is not true. And eventually, when they can't deny the, the, the truth, and the fact that what they said is contrary to the truth, they dismiss it as saying, well, well who cares? What difference does that make anyway? Who cares whether this rumor is true or false? You know, it doesn't matter because we all know they're bad. <laughs> and, you know, people do this about people, you know, they know socially, uh, people they, they have at work, uh, people they work for, people who work for them. Uh, they do it uh, very virtually toward anybody they don't really like, and they want to find a justification for not only disliking them themselves, but convincing other people not to like them either. Of course, this is a very grave sin uh, against the Fifth Commandment, a grave sin against the Eighth Commandment. 
Um, but it, you know, people don't care. They don't care about the truth. It reminds me of Pontius Pilate. You know, uh, said to our Lord, he sneered at our Lord, "What is truth?" Um, and that's what I what I hear in what you've got there. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, you'd mentioned something that, that didn't the person who was saying these things even say that essentially that it, whether this rumor is true or not. Uh, uh, whether or not this, whether or not that rumor is true, obviously the one that this particular lady has spread, right? Apparently, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, I can check on that. <laughs> uh, Pius the fifth is Sade, and uh, she goes on to uh, to say several okay. other things that, that we'll leave out here. But okay, but, yeah. Whether or not it's true, right. you're a Sade of the contest. Anyway, then, so yeah. it, it might as well be true, mm-hmm. right? Okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, even so, let's say I was accused of uh, a racial slur, okay? Mm-hmm. And someone points out that no, that's not true. And they say, well, it doesn't matter whether the rumor that I'm spreading <laughs> is true or false because we all know they're racist anyway. Yeah. Um, this is how they think, and you know, this is not right. No. Uh, priests in the pul- their own priests in the pulpit would get up and correct anybody who would do this. You know, uh, in daily life, but when it comes down to attacking the society of St. Pius V or any groups they don't agree with, it's, o- it's A-OK. It's actually encouraged, okay? Because you find the priests of the society of St. Pius V doing the same thing often. Not all, not all, you know, but some, certainly. And, uh, you know, you, you can say it's done out of ignorance only for so long mm-hmm. until, you know, you point out to them that what they're saying is not true. And then um, there might be some who are concerned, but there are those who definitely are not concerned. So, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that at Immaculate Conception Academy, and for as far as I know, and, and you know, all of the other schools uh, conducted by the Society of St. Pius the, the Fifth, uh, there is no such form required. I, I am not aware of any such form being required anywhere. Um, <coughs> And uh, for that matter, no one is asked uh, <coughs> that I know of. I mean, I know at, at, I, at ICA, I have never done so, and I don't think uh, the nuns in their tenure or any of the teachers or administrators here have ever asked anyone, uh, children or parents, uh, whether they believe that Paul the Sixth, John Paul the First, John Paul the Second. Uh, Benedict XVI or Francis is really the Pope. Um, when I go down the communion rail, administering Holy Communion, I don't ask people, you know, do they believe he's the Pope or not? I, I don't. Would you accept them if they did? If, if I did, well, I don't get down the line, but <laughs> if somebody were to say that I believe Francis is the Pope, I think he's a bad Pope, mm-hmm. but I believe he's the Pope, I'd say, well, I think you're illogical, but that doesn't make you not Catholic. Okay. We can talk about it. We can we can argue about it. I can <clears throat> try to explain that rationally, logically, <clears throat> the facts and the principles point in one direction. You know, but they may come back with other points. You know, that uh, can be good questions and require good answers. And they might not be answers that I have. They might be answers I don't have. So I mean. <laughs> It's a logical deduction based upon the facts as we know them and the principles as the church has given to them. We come to a conclusion. So, um, I mean, I, 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 may, I can be per- perfectly convinced that the only logical conclusion is that Francis is not and cannot be the vicar of Christ on earth. He cannot be the successor of Peter. He cannot be the bishop of Rome. I can be absolutely convinced of that myself. But it's not a dogma. And as I've said before, as convinced as I may be that Francis is not and cannot be the Pope, I know with greater certitude that I am not the Pope. And I cannot pronounce ex cathedra about Francis and excommunicate everybody who doesn't agree with me. I've seen too many priests start out thinking <clears throat> that, well, you can't say that whoever is not the Pope, he's a bad Pope, but you can't say he's not the Pope. And then five, ten years later, they change their mind and they're saying, well, he's not the Pope and you can't say he is, you know. I say, well, wait a minute now. Um, you changed your mind there. Well, what about all those other people in the course of time are going to change their mind? Would you have excommunicated yourself ten years ago? <laughs> you know, or five years ago, or whenever you had the previous opinion? Uh, because you disagreed with yourself with what you're saying now. 
you know. Are you saying that now you have to admit that you were outside the church during that time and you held the other opinion? So, I mean, I, I think it's a very big mistake that, uh, that both the, 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 the dogmatic Sede Vicantis make and the dogmatic Sede Plaintis or Ocupatus or whatever they, you know, whatever. There's no, there's no, let's say, equivalent term on the other side, you know, um, the, the, the Sede Vicantis. But they're both dogmatic in their in their opinions, and that's what they are. You know? uh, there, there is uh, objective doubt with regard to the papacy of, of Francis and the, the modernists because um, of the things they've done and said, and um, and continue to do and say, and Francis. And uh, in the light of what St. Pius X has taught us about modernism, in the light of what the Church has said about modernism, the complexus of all heresies, <clears throat> there, there are objective doubts, and one can raise doubts on, on multiple levels. As I've raised the question myself uh, any number of times, ad nauseum for many people. But I mean, here's, here's Francis, who has, who has explained his understanding of what the papacy is. He made it very clear after this ordinary synod on the family, he explains his role as Supreme Pontiff and as Pope, as successor Peter. He explains what it means to him. And it is taken right out of the pages of the modernists. It is not the Catholic concept of the papacy. It is contrary to, it is inimical to, it, it is not only divergent from the Catholic concept of the papacy, it is, it, it is actually stands in opposition to the Catholic idea of the papacy what Francis considers the office of the papacy to be. And we know from Catholic tradition that for anyone, even one who was unanimously elected by the cardinals to become the pope, he's not the pope until he accepts. He has to accept the office. And he has to accept the office knowing what it is. Francis rejects the, the Catholic concept of the papacy. Uh, he has a contrary understanding of what the papacy is. That's what he was accepting, his notion of what the papacy is, which is not the Catholic papacy. Nobody ever responds to that. As a, no, one, no one gives that any, any time of day whatsoever. I'm sorry, I think they're wrong. I think it's an important question. Um, if someone administered a sacrament that way, if someone got up and was baptizing a baby and expressed an intention that was contrary to the very meaning of, of, the, of the sacrament of baptism, uh, we, would, we would say this poses a very serious contrary intention rendering this baptism invalid or very likely invalid. If someone were to, if a priest were to stand at the pulpit and give a sermon saying, yeah, the, the church used to teach that the bread becomes the body of Christ and the blood becomes the, the, uh, the, the wine becomes the blood of Christ on the altar and um, manifests the death of Christ on the cross and therefore was a, a sacrifice. But of course, now we don't believe that anymore. We've rejected this idea because now we understand that the bread and wine remain bread and wine, but they're symbols. And they're symbols of Christ merely and uh, we receive merely bread and wine. Um, the priest does not have any power to consecrate these things, uh, the body and blood of Christ. And furthermore, Christ had no intention for him to do so. And then the priest went to the, the altar or the table of the new mass. I mean, what would you think? What would the church traditionally say about that? The church would tell the Catholic people, get out of, this, get out of that church. Get away from there. Uh, he's performing a sacrilege. Right? He's attacking the faith. That is not a valid consecration by any means. <clears throat> He's already told you. He not only does not have the intention at least to do what the church, what the church does, <clears throat> he has a contrary intention, absolutely rejecting what the church does. That's true with the, with the administration of the sacrament. If you have contrary, an intention contrary to what the church does, an intention contrary to Christ, that you cannot validly administer a sacrament with an intention like that. And how, how much would that apply to a man then accepting an office he doesn't even believe in, uh, which he absolutely rejects, doesn't even think exists, 
But in its place, he set up this modernist construct, this fiction, that he absolutely does believe in, and says, this is what I was becoming when I accepted that office. That's what Francis has done. So I think it's uh, very poor (laughs) that people don't take that. But this is just one of many issues and many arguments that I think uh, really do manifest there's an objective doubt about Francis being being the Pope now. But um, as I say, I mean, asking the question is not the same as answering the question. I think these questions are outstanding. I think they're very important. I think they're actually really rather compelling that they demand answers, I believe, anyway. And the the people who write these these things, they, is this a blog? A uh, Facebook group. It's a Facebook group. Yep. Okay, well, thank you. You know these things. <laughs> um, I, I was... For, for the longest time, I was referring to FaceTime as FacePlant. Okay. <laughs> Until I got corrected enough times, so I got to realize there's a difference between the two. Yes. So, so I, I don't know all this stuff. But Sorry. The people who write these things often are not interested in the truth. They are like prosecuting attorneys. They just want to condemn somebody right? and the people they don't like. But I, I think that, that there must be so, some who actually are concerned about the reality of the situation, realize we're not going to solve the problem, we're going to get worse just by, you know, throwing mud, casting aspersions, spitting on each other um, with, uh, contemptuously and, and throwing names around. Um, but there, there must be some thoughtful people who are actually willing to sit down and actually talk about this. And, and, you know, it's like the Republicans and the Democrats. But who's thinking of the country? You know? yeah. And you get the, uh, the state of Acontis and the anti-state of Acontis and they're going at it, and who's really thinking primarily of the church? They're thinking of their own like little political parties, and who's getting the advantage here. Um, and the fact is, neither one of them has the authority to answer the question for everybody in the world, for all the Catholic people in the world. So, I think the questions need to be raised, and they need to be they need to be answered thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is this is not very thoughtfully. Not no, but. It's deceitful. Yeah. It's it's deceitful. It's slanderous. So, and uh, I think what the lady says there, it is a lady, I believe, or at least a woman. Yes. Uh, she says, well, whether or not that rumor is true, it doesn't matter because we all know they're sated because it's anyway. Exactly. By the way, the expression, mad sated. That's what I was going to ask. How do you feel about that, Father? Uh, you're mad sated. <laughs> how do I feel about that? How do you feel about that? Well, if you ask how I feel about it, I think it's funny. Um, but if you ask what I think about it, I think it's horrible. Yeah. I think it's horrible because it's sinful. Yeah. I believe it is sinful. We will talk like that. I mean, let's face it. This, <clears throat> I'll call her a lady, okay? <clears throat> when she's raising her children, I assume she has children, I assume she's married, <clears throat> and her children start calling each other names, <clears throat> I assume that she would say, now, you know, Tommy, uh, Rebecca, whatever, that, you shouldn't do that. That's not nice to call each other names. <clears throat> But then she gets on the phone, and her little kids here are calling, calling people names. Uh, mad Sadie this, and Mad Sadie that. And, and she's talking like a Democrat. I'm sorry. <clears throat> she's talking and acting like a Democrat. This is what they do. Can you imagine a Hillary, Hillary Clinton? I'm not calling her a name. I'm calling her by her real name. Unfortunately, her real name has become, you know, what can I say? You know? um, but she's made it that way. But can you imagine Hillary saying, well, whether that rumor that I said was true or not, it doesn't matter because we all know this about them. You know? Yes, I could hear her saying, and, and, and the rest of them, I could all hear them saying these things. You know? What difference does it make whether it's true? In the, in the larger context, we all know what they're really like. And so, you know, it's true uh, insofar as it's kind of truthy. You know? <laughs> Father, what's the Catholic definition of a lie? A Catholic definition lie is locutio contra mentem, speaking against what you know in your mind is true, or in such a, speaking in something that, that might well not be true, that you don't know is true. So you might not even know that it, <clears throat> you're speaking against what you know in your mind to be the truth, <clears throat> but it could be a blatant disregard for whether it's the truth or not, saying something that you don't know, mm-hmm. you know is true. 
And uh, so that's an aspect of the lie, too. So, okay. And I, I think that's what we're dealing with here. I mean, she herself says it as a fact and then says, it. well, that rumor. I mean, she calls it a rumor. Yeah. So... Um, you don't, you don't want to deal with people who are dealing with rumors because they cause all kinds of problems. Um, they, they don't really help resolve problem, the edge problems. They, they cause the problems. Yeah. yeah. So you really need uh, thoughtful people who will sit down and, and, you know, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Try to apply it. We're all handicapped in that regard, but you try to apply it. And... Uh, I'd say there's a, a lack of uh, integrity, a lack of honesty, and a lack of charity in, in so much of that discussion that goes on. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, doesn't she even say at one point something about, about truth? Um, in the course of that? I don't have the whole thing in front of me. I mean, you, you had no. mentioned this to me, and I said, well, you know, I, I think it's probably a good case in point to discuss these matters. She said some, some people... You telling the truth and she's tired of it or something like that. Some people want to be right no matter the cost. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it'd be good to be right. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're looking for the truth. Yeah, I'd say so. If she means by that some people want the truth no matter the cost, I'd say, well, let's hope they do. That's good, yeah. But I'd say that she's not demonstrating that she's one of them. No. No. So anyway, um, but when I mean, you say mad sayday, mad uh, I, I consider this just to be another um, uh, tragic comic product of um, very childish minds, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm trying to be charitable myself here. <laughs> wow. Um, then uh, I, I think... Uh, akin to my saying, you know, if I, if I were to say that she is a <clears throat> maniacal um, city plainest bozo, I mean, that would... It would have essentially the same value. <laughs> you know, the same value in terms of reason, intelligence, speech. <laughs> in other words, none. Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> Right? It's just kids calling each other names. Fair enough. Well, let's let's leave it at that then, Father. I think uh, I think that's that, that's sufficient right there. But I would like to yes. move on to this uh, to this other topic that we've received some questions about in regards to this uh, this idea of the Hebrew nation. Um, oh, you, right, you've received right. some questions about that and about the, yes. this idea of should should uh, Christians follow the old law? Should Christians be Torah observant? How would you how would you respond to all that? Well, there is a big issue of that online right now, and uh, not only online, but we run into people like that too. I mean, um, in my travels, I see signs that have been defaced by graffiti talking about the need to worship on Saturday. <laughs> that that's God's law, that we worship on Saturday, not Sunday. There are websites like World Net Daily, which is considered very conservative, which is actually operated by a basically a, a Judaizer, mm -hmm. although they would not use that to claim that term. But there is a technical term for that. It's not just calling names. Mm -hmm. That is somebody who says, no, we have to go back and practice the old law, mm -hmm. worship on Saturday and all the rest. We have members of our own church here at Immaculate Conception who work for people who do this. Um, and, uh, and, and one of they say, follow the prescriptions of Moses from the old law. To be Christian, they say, this is what you have to do. You have to be Torah observant. Right. Father, real quick, I wanted to point out, I thought this was, uh, this was rather fascinating. Just the other day, we bought a, uh, a series of, of small, apparent, I thought they were Catholic, uh, children's book, a series on the Ten Commandments. And when you get to the Third Commandment, remember, now keep holy the Sabbath day, uh, the Lord's Day, it says that, uh, that, that the family must attend Mass every Sunday. In parentheses, it says, or Saturday evening. Well, that's the new, that's the Novus Ordo. Yeah. That's the Novus Ordo. Really Novus Ordo is uh, deeply engaged in ecumenism with Judaism. Yeah. And Francis is, you know, the, the leader of the pack here. Yeah. Um, he regularly appears in Jewish settings, doing Jewish things, partaking in Jewish functions and so on. And uh, his greatest friends are rabbis, and he uh, talks about them as though they're great leaders of, of faith, you know, and um, uh, 
<laughs> I mean, then they reject Christ. You know, and he's supposed to be the vicar of Christ. But what does that even mean to him? You know, is another question. But in any case, but yeah, that's the case of it. Um, when they tell you that in the Novus Ordo, you're going to attend Mass on Saturday evenings. Well, mm -hmm. that's the Sabbath, Sabbatal, the Sabbath day. And even some catechisms, you'll find the answer to the, the um, questions about the third commandment say that we must have to uh, observe the Sabbath day. We're actually the Lord's Day, Dominica. Dominica is the Lord's Day, the Day of the Lord. That's what Catholics should have in their catechisms, not the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. But, um, so there's a very big push for that right now, and a lot of ignorant people, notably Novus Ordo Catholics, possibly even some very ignorant traditional Catholics, can well be <clears throat> misled by this, because they don't know what to say about it. Uh, what's going on here? What's happening? Why, why is this happening now? Well, <clears throat> actually, I, I, the way my, uh, <clears throat> my analysis goes, uh, I find it interesting. I don't know what anybody else does. But the way I see this happening is you have <clears throat> basically conservative fundamentalist-type Christians, okay, who have for years followed the Lutheran uh, error, the Lutheran delusion that we are saved by faith alone. Okay? Of course, nowhere in sacred scripture do we read that we are saved by faith alone. Uh, Luther added the word alone. He actually added, edited, supplemented <coughs> the word of God with his own, with his own language there. It was even brought to his attention that he was <coughs> adjusting the word of God by adding his own statement, we are saved by faith alone <clears throat> and when he was challenged on that, as what can we say when people say that Dr. Luther is make, doing this, just tell them, Luther said, that Dr. Luther will have it so and that's enough that's all the authority you need so there you are, you know, so was it really the word of God or the word of Luther that mattered well, the answer is the word of Luther well, <clears throat> you have these 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 Protestants, and they were Protestants, and they still are. They're just protesting, right? Their whole religion is based on a protest against Catholicism. Okay, so they have this knee-jerk reaction against Catholicism. That's what their religion is. Okay, and um, Luther taught them that we're saved by faith alone, and they just accepted that because Luther interpreted or misinterpreted the words of Saint Paul about that. Was St. Paul writing anything about that, about the law and faith and salvation? Yes, he was. Of course he was. That's... <clears throat> the point is Luther, uh, that St. Paul was <clears throat> confronted by the mindset of the early Christians who were Jewish converts, <clears throat> that they had proprietary rights over Christ, whom they'd come to believe in as the Savior. <clears throat> And that no pagan could become a Christian unless he first became Jewish. He'd have to accept the law of Moses and go through Moses to get to Christ. And they were enjoining this of you. There's even uh, an instance, instance in the Acts of the Apostles where St. Paul has, St. Timothy, St. Uh, you, know, you, you know about uh, St. Titus, St. Timothy, and the bishops that St. Paul consecrated. <clears throat> well, St. Paul was... <clears throat> being pressured so strongly by these Jewish converts to Christianity that they had to follow the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, that St. Paul was, was pressured into performing the rite of circumcision on one of those he was going to promote to the rank of a, of a, a bishop. And uh, St. Paul didn't want to do it. He knew it wasn't necessary. But the force of, of uh, pressure was so great that even St. Paul caved into it. And uh, even even St. Peter. I mean, there was tremendous pressure on St. Peter, too. Here's the man who had the magnificent dream from, uh, we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> went to the home of Cornelius the centurion, a Roman soldier, a pagan, <clears throat> preached the gospel. <clears throat> the entire household of Cornelius believed, received the faith, and St. Peter baptized them all. He didn't make them Jews first. He didn't enjoin him the, the law of Moses first. He baptized them all. 
This precipitated a crisis, which culminated in the great council of all the apostles returning to Jerusalem uh, to determine this question. Does one have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Does one have to be Jewish in order to become Christian? That was the question. You read about it in Acts chapter 15. And um, the problem was that St. Peter was pressured. The man who baptized the first uh, pagans directly into the, into the church of Christ <clears throat> subsequently <clears throat> will not even be seen eating with the pagan Christians, the pagan converts. He'll only eat with his fellow Jews because of the Mosaic law, because of the Jewish law uh, coming through the, 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 I don't know if it's the Torah, but the Talmud, the Mishnah, and all that coming together. Uh, that's the practice, okay? <clears throat> and St. Paul upbraids him. Okay, St. Brand, St. Paul publicly challenged Peter, you're giving great scandal by doing this, okay? You're caving in to these people. And Peter acknowledges that it's true. And then St. Paul, later on, succumbs to pressure to circumcise one of his candidates for bishop because of the same pressure, okay? So this is the first challenge that the church faced. <coughs> when St. Paul is writing about this, he reflects that idea <coughs> that there are those who are insisting that everyone has to become Jewish and follow the law of Moses in order to become Christian. That's what St. Paul is arguing against. He's not arguing the the, the Protestant misinterpretation. When St. Paul says we don't have to follow the law to be saved, he's talking about the law of the Jews. That's what he's talking about, the law. He's not referring to just law in general. You don't have any law to follow. You don't have to follow any law. He talks about the law of Christ, St. Paul does. But Luther and his poor, deluded followers had the idea you're saved by faith alone, and you don't even have to obey the commandments. So this was Luther's teaching. You don't even have to obey the commandments. Break the commandments, sin, but just have faith in Christ's death for you. Accept that as him as your personal Savior. You're saved already. Regardless of your sins, actually even because of them, if your sins just make you have more faith in Christ, the efficacy of Christ's death for you. Sin mightily, but believe more mightily, the expression that he used. <clears throat> now, this is not the teaching of Christ. It's not the teaching of St. Paul. You know that. I know that. The Lutherans, the Protestants, made up this, this complete um, fabrication, but, uh, diabolical misinterpretation, of uh, the writings of St. Paul and our Lord even in the Gospel and uh, propose this now as their new Christianity. Well, it just so happens, and, and by the way, all the while the Catholic Church is saying, no, that's not what it says, that's not what it means. You can't say that, that's wrong. You're, you're misrepresenting the teachings of Christ. You're, you're twisting the Word of God to produce this, this, <clears throat> this dic- dictum you have here, this mantra you're uttering, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. That's not what St. Paul is saying. Well, lo and behold, after hundreds of years of the Catholic Church telling these these Protestant, uh, um, uh, poor, deluded individuals that they're wrong, this is not what St. Paul means, now they're saying, oh, look, this is not what St. Paul means. Or if it is, he's saying something contrary to what Jesus is saying, Yeshua is saying in the Gospels. So now what they're saying is, gee, look, St. Paul says all this about the law, and you don't have to follow the law and, and all that, but now we know <clears throat> that that's not true. So they're actually saying St. Paul is wrong. St. Paul is contrary to Christ. <clears throat> the false idea, the false interpretation they placed on St. Paul's words, they're now saying, are, they're now saying it shows that St. Paul is like a false prophet, contrary to Christ, because in the Gospel, Jesus Christ was talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and in the kingdom you have the law, you have to follow the law to be in the kingdom. So now we know we do have to follow the law. That's what Christ was saying in the gospel. Paul came along and he adulterated the gospel. And Paul is the enemy of the teaching of Christ. Is St. Paul really the enemy of Christ? No. Is their interpretation of Paul? which we've been telling them all along is completely ridiculous and and absolutely unfounded. But they still cling to it tenaciously. 
falsifying St. Paul and then setting up the opposition, be- uh, a completely false opposition between St. Paul and, and Jesus and the gospel. So there, there, uh, the result of this this complete breakdown in, I mean, in faith and even the spirit of faith in these people is that not only do we have to follow uh, the Ten Commandments, we have to follow the whole law of Moses. We've been misled by Paul all these years. We have to go back to the Gospel, and we have to follow the entire law of Moses because Jesus was an observant Jew. He was a Torah-observant Jew, and we have to follow that example. So now they are turning the force of their fabrication and falsification from St. Paul to our Lord himself and the Gospel and completely, uh, basically annihilating the meaning of the gospel. I mean, their argument that uh, St. Paul doesn't talk about the kingdom. In the gospels, Yeshua, Jesus, is talking about the kingdom. And because St. Paul doesn't emphasize the kingdom, and in the gospel you read about the kingdom, obviously there's a disconnect between St. Paul and Christ, right? And uh, but it's obvious to them because they're they're in fantasy land with their understanding of these sacred texts. They have nothing to guide them except their their fantasies. Nothing. But then, what do you expect from Protestants? I mean, they have the Bible alone, no authority to teach them anything or to tell them. <laughs> they may say, "Well, my minister tells me." But <laughs> if your minister tells you something you don't want to hear, you go find another minister who tells you what you want to believe. You know. Uh, that's the meaning of Protestantism. That's the point of Protestantism. You know, uh, it's the Word of God as long as <clears throat> that's how I interpret it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you are preaching the Word of God as long as you're saying what I believe. Um, but it's all built on this fantastic delusion they have <clears throat> that they go from one error to another error to another error, and now they're going out of the fly- frying pan into the fire. I fear <clears throat> by saying, "Gee." St. Paul has deluded us all this time. We have to reject his false teaching and go back to the teaching of the gospel of Yeshua because he's teaching us about the kingdom. And these are the people who are all about Israel. It's a secular, it's a secular, essentially godless, socialist state, Israel. But they're saying, this is it. These are the chosen people. And this is the chosen, you know, this is the chosen race, the, the promised land. And they are on the track toward, uh, you know, taking us to, to Yeshua and the great return of Yeshua. And they're getting together the, uh, and of course, in line with keeping the law and all the temple, they're, they're getting together the red heifer for the, the sacrifice of atonement, you know, and purification, the rite of purification. They're getting together the seven branch candlesticks and the gold, and they're getting together even the spices and, and things used in the temple. They're recreating these now <clears throat> to reestablish the temple worship. And here we have these uh, conservative Christians, so-called, who are all on board on this, <clears throat> thinking this is the true religion. We have to go back to that. And, you know, it is a complete, a complete satanic delusion. Um, this is really, I guess, Protestantism coming full term. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they, they, they realize they've been on the wrong tack all this time, uh, misled by St. Paul, they say, their interpretation of Paul. So now they say we're going to go back to this kingdom theology. Well, in answer to that, by the way, Tom, all right, if you read through the gospel, it's clear our Lord gives many parables about the kingdom. Of course, you think the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, over and over again. Our Lord is talking about that. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, as he came to establish it here on earth, in his church. Okay? Not Moses' church, Christ's church. Uh, he is the Messiah whom the Jews rejected, okay? <clears throat> Largely. But the apostles and the converts that they made and so on, they are the ones who accepted Christ. But they still had this sense, this cultural sense of belonging to this people. And they didn't want to um, sublimate that to the uh, uh, faith in Christ. They still wanted that cultural thing to go along with them. And they tried to make that cultural thing part of the religion and say, now you have to do what we've done. But all of those laws of the Old Testament, those prescriptions and so on, 
those ritualistic laws, they were all given by God as a kind of figure, a type, a kind of forecast of the coming Savior. When the Savior came, the types, the Paschal Lamb and all the rest, were satisfied by the, by the coming of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, and they all faded away. They were not the reality, they were the forecast. They were like the prediction, uh, a prophet, living prophecy, these rituals. But when the reality came, then everything else came away. What, what did St. Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 30, he says, he says we, we see now through a glass in a dark matter. He's talking about faith, how we know God now. But then in heaven I shall know face to face. Okay? Then I shall know even as I am known. So it's very much like that relationship with the Old Testament and the New. The Old Testament was like seeing through a glass in a dark manner <clears throat> into the future, the coming of the Christ. But when the Christ came, as Christ, as St. Paul says, <clears throat> but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. It shall be done away with. Well, these, these poor deluded Christians are being led right back into the synagogue. And um, I'm sure that uh, St. Peter, St. Paul, and the rest, of the, you know, they would, they would be horrified to think yeah. that, that they could be so deluded as to go that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I'm afraid that people are so ignorant in their faith and so, so mistaken by the notions of heretics that they've imbibed and come to believe implicitly, that it's it's almost impossible to reach them without some special grace from God. Yeah. And Father, it's 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 fascinating how, how things come full circle when we had this idea of the Judaizers, which was one of the first real problems that the church faced, and now it's it's resurfaced again. But it seems that at its root that uh, that, that this this idea of the uh, of the Hebrew nation and the Judaizers and all this, that at its root it's just an attack on the Blessed Trinity. Where Jesus said, I, I came not to destroy the law, but, but to, to perfect it. Mm. And all, all this is, this, this, uh, this whole idea is just a rejection of the perfect law that mm. Jesus came to, to, to fulfill. But it seems like that, that, uh, that since what this is at its root is an attack on the Blessed Trinity, it seems that, that, that perfectly coincides with everything, all these other problems that we see, such as, uh, Islam, mm. yep. an attack on the Blessed Trinity. Right. Also, uh, Protestantism, everything else, you can you can trace them all back to this one root, uh, which is an attack on the Blessed Trinity. Absolutely. And it seems that all of these these uh, all of these these terrible problems are kind of culminating now, and, and they're all coming together in mm. the synthesis of heresies. Which and are, and which what is the one voice on the face of the earth that is supposed to be resisting that? Uh, the, the Pontiff. Yes, the, the, the Supreme Pontiff of the Roman Catholic Church, the yeah. Vicar of Christ on Earth, mm-hmm. successor of Peter. Okay. Yeah. Then you have Francis. Yeah. Who jokes that there's bickering among the members of the Blessed Trinity, yeah. the, the persons of the Blessed yeah. Trinity. Yeah. They can't even agree among themselves. Yeah. But they keep a united front to everybody else. But inside, they're, they're constantly arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, blasphemy, right? Which he finds amusing. Uh, you even see him saying that God cannot exist. God cannot be God without man, as he just did, right? And But you see, also in the law, as he proposes, proposes it, for example, Amoris Laetitia, where in his chapter 8, he's muddying the waters, that's being kind, about adultery. And saying, well, you know, at times you can't really help it. Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils. You know, so he's making an argument that, you know, people should have access, even if they're living in open adultery. We can't say that, that people shouldn't have, hadn't have access to the, the sacraments of the Noah Sordo, right? Um, like their wafer, communion wafer, well, when you look at what he's saying here, and you look at that in the context of the teaching of our Lord in the Gospel, when he was confronted by the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and so on, about, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife and take another? And Arlott says, no. And then they come back and say, but Moses says it's okay to write him a bill of divorce and put her away by another wife. Our Lord says that's adultery. Have you not read in your law, going back to the book of Genesis, that God has joined them together, Male and female, the man will leave his 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 greatest his closest love to his mother and father to cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Our Lord says, "Have you not read that in your law?" 
But Moses said we could. And our Lord says, if you do that, you're committing adultery. And the woman who is put away and takes another husband commits adultery. And as they knew very well, because they were killing people, they were executing people they caught in adultery, this was a capital crime. And our Lord was saying, basically to them, what you have been doing is adultery. Moses has tolerated this because of the hardness of your hearts, but you are no better than the people you've been murdering. You've been executing because of adultery. You also are guilty of that crime. They were furious. People underestimate the significance of that teaching of our Lord and their hatred for him and their determination to destroy him and have him crucified. Um, uh, People who are married really need to appreciate the value of our Lord's teaching on the sanctity of married life and the indissolubility of the marriage bond and what our Lord did. He wasn't going to send Moses down the mountain 1,400 years before to tell the people, the Hebrews, who had just come out of Egypt, you can't do that anymore. You've been living like pagans. They would have killed him on the spot. Mm -hmm. But our Lord said, the law is not perfect. True. It couldn't be then. I'm come, I'm perfecting it, and this is how I'm saying, now this must be done. That's our Lord perfecting the law. But Father, when he said all those things, there is no tape recorder present, so perhaps you're just misinterpreting this. As Francis is head of the Jesuits, uh, well, you know, as as the new head of the Jesuits, uh, uh, which Francis has fully approved of, right? Francis himself being a Jesuit, right? Yes, it's true. He said there's no tape recorder. So the words of, uh, of Jesus, uh, Christ, recorded in the gospel need to be interpreted with each generation that goes by. Pure modernism. Francis does not correct this because he, he agrees with it. Yeah. Absolutely agrees with it. And so it is... Good point, Tom. In Amoris Letizia, Francis is opening the door. But what he's doing is he's basically rescinding what Christ said and going back to the Mosaic Law. He's turning the morality, the moral principles of the church, back toward the Law of Moses. And this is what the effort is now, to turn everything, everything Christian back that way, mm-hmm. back into the synagogue again. Yeah. And the law... Of the synagogue and kind of erased, erase what our Lord has done. They they're erasing the sacrifice in their new mass. It's a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Never is it mentioned in the new in the new mass itself that this is a sacrifice of reparation for sin. How is it possible? What kind of what kind of mass is that? It is no mass, right? It's a Protestant prayer service. It's a communion service. It's not a mass. So all of the things they've done, doctrinally and morally, are all about undoing what Christ has done and returning us to the synagogue again. And that's what these uh, Hebrew nation and Judaizers of the day are are part of that whole charge Mm -hmm. back to the synagogue. Yeah, and Father, it's it's not surprising to to see this in this day and time when when we have, uh, when modernism is so prevalent um, that that we're going to, which itself is the synthesis of all heresies, so naturally we're going to have all of these things, uh, everything, I mean, Arianism, you see that back in force again today, but uh, St. Pius X, he said that modernism would lead to atheism. Hmm. It seems to me, though, that... Pantheism, another form of it. But it seems to me that, that, that the process wouldn't wouldn't stop there because uh, man is, hmm. is a spiritual being. He needs something to worship. Hmm. And so eventually, if if man is not worshiping the true God, <coughs> man is going to worship Satan or himself. Or, and and this, is, <coughs> this is the perfect... Uh, In which case, way. the Antichrist will exactly. be the highest, yeah. the highest form of humanity. Mm-hmm. The concept, modern man's concept of who God is or should be. Yeah. And they'll worship the Antichrist. Yeah. And through him, Satan himself. True. Well, you know, modernism has the idea that all religion, all faith, all doctrine takes its origin from the individual person's experience of God within him, the experience of God within. It was St. Pius X pointed out, you're saying it very well, Tom. He says, it's a very thin line between saying, I'm experiencing a God who is really objectively out there. I'm experiencing him within me. And on the other hand, saying, that's the only place God is, is within me, because I am God. 
you know, you eventually draw that conclusion. So modernism ultimately leads to that idea that, uh, you know, I'm experiencing the wonder of God and his power, whatever you might say, beauty, his majesty, you know, I, I feel that within me. And eventually come to the conclusion, that's all there is of God. That's who God is. When I was a high school senior, I think I've said this before, probably. Um, the nun who was teaching us religion had our senior class go into a darkened auditorium to watch a movie put out by the, I think it was the National Council of Churches, not the World Council of Churches. I think it was the National Council of Churches. I could be wrong in that, but nonetheless, certainly not a Catholic institution. It was a movie which portrayed the church as a circus. Actually, Francis would be very cute, pleased with that idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'd be the chief clown. I, I say that not to be, I, I mean, he would. I mean, he would revel in that position as being the chief clown, right? But in the movie, Christ was the clown. And uh, he was the popular figure that made everybody laugh. And so the ringmaster was trying to conduct the circus and keep the attention of the children who had come to enjoy the circus. But as the ringmaster was introducing the axe, and the high wire axe, and the lions, and the tigers, and the bears, and all, elephants, uh, the clown would come in and do silly things and draw the children's attention away. He would go down, well, in a parody of the gospel, he took a, a little brush, he'd go, and he would brush the children's shoes, okay? Like washing of the feet. The children are all laughing at the clown, not paying attention to the ringmaster. The ringmaster put up with this for so long that eventually you could see the ringmaster was getting very angry and very jealous at the accolades uh, won by the clown, at his popularity, and the ringmaster was losing his hold of the audience. So the ringmaster plotted against the clown and finally <coughs> hung him. Hung him by a harness from the high wire. And <coughs> it's very dark and very sinister, you know, even for 12th graders in high school back then. Uh, with the video games now, the 12th graders have seen every amount of gore you can imagine, I suppose. But in those days, it was very dark and very, very sinister. <clears throat> and the camera just showed the, the bright red lips of the clown and his tongue and his uvula open, filling the entire frame, the entire picture, and screaming at the top of his lung, representing our Lord crying out on the cross. And then the clown was dead. <clears throat> Calvary. Or <clears throat> the big time. Anyway... Then you have metanoia. Then you have the repentance. Because the ringmaster feels very bad at what he's done. So you see him go and enter into the clown's trailer, circus trailer. And the ringmaster is putting on the clown's makeup. And now the ringmaster becomes the clown. And he becomes the Christ figure. And this is what it is for us to repent. And we basically put on the makeup of Christ, and that is Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> In us taking the, the clown experience to ourselves. You see? So here we might say, well, when did the ringmaster first discover that he was a clown? <clears throat> but they put it this way. <clears throat> In class, our religion class, religion class, afterwards, the nun asks the, uh, I call her a nun, she wasn't cloistered, she was a sister, religious sister. She asked the class, when did Jesus first discover that he was God? And at first, uh, everybody in the class just sat there as though we didn't really hear this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and my, my reaction was, what? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but curiously enough, uh, kids who sat in the class without expressing a single thought, you know, up until then, began to ponder the depth of that question. When did Jesus actually discover that he was God? As though that really had meaning, you know? Obviously, uh, I mean, of course, if, if Christ, if Jesus 
of Nazareth had to discover that he was God. There was a time that he didn't know he was God. Obviously, he's not God, not as we know God to be, right? Yeah. If you just sort of found it out. But the point is, again, the modernist idea, when did Jesus have the experience yeah. of God within him to realize, I'm the son of God. That's the experience see, that we all have in one way or another. But Jesus had it very profoundly. So did Buddha, so did Moses, so did Mohammed. The leaders of the great, the founders of the religions, they all had this faith experience. So profound that their faith experience was so powerful, they attracted an audience. People came to them and wanted to share in their own faith experience. Like, I want to be that. I want to feel that. You know, I want to understand that. And that's where the religions of the world came from. This is the modernist idea. <clears throat> this, is the, this is Francis' idea of the God of surprises, surprises of the Spirit, and the working of the Holy Spirit, of the working of the Spirit in the world, as far as he's concerned, is basically taking mankind onto an elevated experience of who God is now. And that's his role as Pope to take the experience of the people and who God is now in their lives, filter it through the bishops, who summarize it to him, and then Francis is going to produce the formulas that express the reality of God now, at this moment. In the world, uh, yeah, what God has evolved to become in the minds of the people and their, their experience of God. That's his papacy. You see why I say that's not, that is not the Catholic papacy, Frank, uh, Francis. <laughs> so, um, in any case, um, <clears throat> this, this, this whole concept is leading to the Antichrist. Yeah. As, you, as you expressed, <clears throat> I mean, you're heading that way, that <clears throat> if the experience of God is evolving, <clears throat> and now the modern concept of God requires that we <clears throat> abandon dogmas that are very divisive in favor of a more common, inclusive experience of God, then the direction of that is heading toward a one-world religion. And the experience of God in the future is going to all be centered in one individual, the Antichrist, whom the entire world will look to as basically saying, mankind is God and he is the greatest of mankind. So he is the apotheosis of humanity and therefore God. Um, Francis, I'm afraid, I, I believe, is the uh, the lesser beast of the Apocalypse, chapter 8, I think it is, uh, who is calling mankind to follow the great beast, <clears throat> to honor him. But anyway, um, it's funny how all the discussions seem to go back to that. <laughs> uh, but they go back to him because... He is now vocalizing <clears throat> this, this whole process. And um, it could not be happening without him. <clears throat> and only a, a, one who is and acts like and sounds like a true Catholic Pope and speaks with the voice of the shepherd, Christ, would have the power to withstand this and resist it. St. Paul, 2 Thessalonians, talks about the, the one who will resist this, right? The one who will resist this is taken out of the way. And then the Antichrist can come. So um, there are those who, uh, who believe that the, the papacy as an office was that. And uh, that now the, the enemies of, the, of Christ, the enemies of God, the enemies of the church, enemies of our souls, have set their marks on that, as Pope Leo XIII said they would, back in 1888, right? Or 1883, well, you have the vision there. And he says in his prayer to St. Michael mm -hmm. that the enemies of the Church have set their sights or their marks or their target on the throne of St. Peter in order to subvert it. Mm -hmm. That was the prayer of Pope Leo XIII. Yeah. So uh, we were duly warned. Yeah. This Judaizer thing, this whole question, though, what came brought up originally, about <clears throat> turning um, 
Christians back into the synagogue, basically. Returning them to uh, to the synagogue is, is a major, major aspect of this whole this whole uh, uh, question of the future. And the, the Christians, so-called, who are on the, the juggernaut here, pushing it forward, promoting this idea, um, are subverting true Christianity. And uh, they, are, they are actually among the chief enemies of Christ in the world today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the traditional Catholic teaching is the true teaching. It's the only thing that can save us from that. Father, you, you mentioned this this process leading eventually to, to the to the Antichrist. Um, in, in closing for tonight's program, could you tell us is it possible to subvert this process? Is it possible to revert to to reverse well, the process? And if so, how? Our Lady of Fatima told us what has to be done. Okay. Uh, she warned us what was coming, <clears throat> and. Um, is it possible now? I mean, there are those who said that <clears throat> in light of what we know to be the real content of the third secret of Fatima, that the, uh, the, the die is cast, the, the tempest is coming, the chastisement is coming, and all we can do is be individually faithful, but we can't, with, we, we cannot, as Our Lady said, um, withstand, what was it, withhold? She used the expression... Uh, in, in, her, in her words at Fatima that she'd come to forestall these things. Yeah. That's how it's translated. Yeah. To forestall these things. As though these things would happen eventually in history, but not now. You know, if people did what, what we were asked. I mean, it's very possible in light of that that when in former ages in the church's history uh, a great priest, prophet such as St. Vincent Ferrer who it was known as the prophet of the end times. Yeah. Apostle of the end times. It's very possible that they were right when they said that the end times were upon us, and this is what we must do. That they would have been the end times, but for the fact that people responded and did what they were asked to do. But these could be the end times because, in fact, people are not responding and not doing what they're supposed to do. And the reason why they're not doing it is because the leadership in the church has been subverted by Satan. I have no other explanation for, you know, my Pope Pius XI did not consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary together with all the bishops of the world, but for the fact that the bishops of the world would not do it. But 20 years before, St. Pius X had warned about the modernists infiltrating the hierarchy in the church as a whole. So, um, so the, the mystery of iniquity has, has uh, barreled on um, because... Um, the, the one, the restrainer did not hold it back and has now been taken out of the way. I think that's, that's the message as far as I see it anyway. Can it be held back now? Well, if, if enough people did sufficient prayer and penance, did what Our Lady said, as Our Lady asked the Father to consecrate themselves to Immaculate Heart, answer the call of heaven to do that, because that's what our Lord wants of us, to consecrate ourselves to her Immaculate Heart, because her Immaculate Heart is the closest to his own, right? And in consecrating ourselves to her, our Lord sees it as consecrating ourselves to him. Okay? And, um, and we begin to follow the law of God, of Christ, not the law of Moses, the law of Christ, okay? And we, uh, especially in terms of purity, because our lady said more souls go to all hell because of sins of impurity than for any other reason. If we... Uh, Purify our hearts and have the, truly the virtue of purity within, within our hearts. Um, then it is possible that God would hear our plea. And, um, and yes, by the grace of God, grant us the conversion of Russia. Uh, a lot of the evils that are happening in the world today, including jihadism, <coughs> are actually behind the scenes and underneath the work of the Russian Subversion. All of these evil, all these troubles, you know, they're all being used. It's a, it's a phase of perestroika, right? Glasnost and all the rest. It's just a new phase. As Anatoly Galitsyn said, when warning the West, don't fall for this. It's a ploy. <clears throat> um, it's just moving on. So the, the need for the prayers for the conversion of Russia, Russia is as important now as it ever was. 
Because that is where this evil is emanating from. Those who are responsible for the disinformation campaigns of Stalin and his successors in the Kremlin, they, they, they warned us, they, they told us, don't believe it. They are masters of deceit. So, uh, but, you know, it's very possible, who am I to say, not like Francis, <laughs> that uh, God, in, in his great mercy, and answering the plea of our Blessed Lady, if there were enough people who really consecrated themselves, themselves to Our Lady's Immaculate, were really devoted to her, and lived uh, the law of Christ, and lived their faith, well, I would hope that God would spare the world uh, utter destruction, and, um, but I do, I do know this, that without any doubt, that for those who are faithful to our Lord, even when the hammer falls, God will protect them. Right. And for each and every one of us, that is, that is what we, I think, need to concentrate on right now. Mm-hmm. For ourselves and our loved ones, being faithful to God, with the absolute confidence that if we are faithful to God, that even though a thousand fall at my one hand and ten thousand fall at my other hand, that God will protect me and my loved ones and keep us in the state of grace and faithful to Him. With that, we, we go on. Yeah. And, and Father, you, uh, you mentioned this, uh, our, our Lady's message at, at Fatima and the consecration to our Immaculate Heart. I know the, uh, we, we received a lot, of, a lot of questions about that. And uh, I'd like to again point out to our viewers that we do have that, that, that book available that, that we've mentioned on the program before, The Message of Our Lady at Fatima. And we do still have uh, many, many copies of that book available. So if you'd like to send us your information, we can get that, that book out to you. But uh, Father, this, this has been a remarkable program. I think you've given us a lot to uh, a lot to think about. So thank um, you, thank you for being here tonight. Very much. Thank you. No problem. Awesome. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>